Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I recently read an article, and I have no idea why I gathered this bit of information. But it mentioned the largest baby that was ever born. It was in Turkey in 1961, 21 pounds and 4 ounces. Wow, that's a big baby. But I've seen bigger. Really. (laughs) You're not going to like this. But it's not speaking about you, of course. I saw those bigger babies sitting on church pews. If you've been around church as many years as I have or anywhere near that, you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? I'm talking about spiritually immature Christians who even after many years of having been saved and having opportunities to grow are still spiritually immature. Their growth is stunted. Tonight, I want all of us to ask ourselves this question, am I growing up or am I just growing older? Am I growing up or am I just growing older? God expects His children to grow, to mature spiritually. And here in chapter 4 of Ephesians, we have what you could call God's guide for growth. Let me do just a little bit of review since we've already gone down through verse number 12, actually, verse 13. In verse 11 and 12, we see that God has given gifted men to the church. We talked about grace gifts. He gave gifted men to the church, and their job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's not his job or their job to do all of the work, but to equip the saints for the work. And that results in the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ. Notice in verse number 13, let's review that. Because here he tells us that this work is to continue. It's not just what the first century church did. It's what we ought to be doing. Notice he says it's to continue till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We've got a long way to go to get there. The full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, I want you to notice in verses 11, 12, and 13, and I know we've already studied these verses, but just briefly, I want you to notice the ministry of maturity. Notice what he says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. 
for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, that we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So He has given us grace gifts as a church that we might become what He planned for us to be. Churches that put all of the emphasis on evangelism and totally ignore Christian education are headed for trouble. Most of those churches don't last long. They might grow fast, they might grow large numerically, but eventually the immaturity of the members lead to problems that divide and destroy the church. I, I, I know I've heard instances where the preacher said, well, I don't care what anybody thinks, we're going to make every service evangelistic and every service is going to be geared for the winning of the loss to Jesus Christ because nothing in the world is more important than that. Well... You know, I understand what they're saying, but the assembly of the church is actually for the saints of God, and the Bible tells us that we are to make disciples. To make disciples requires an ongoing ministry of helping members mature. That is our lifelong work as a church. And as long as we're in these earthly bodies, there's going to be room for improvement. And as a pastor, I should never stop growing and helping others in this growth process. You see, that's the vocation to which I've been called, so my work is never done. I hear preachers talk about retiring. You don't really want to know what I think about that, and I'll guarantee you they don't either. And I understand that sometimes it becomes necessary because of physical disabilities and things of that nature that a pastor must retire. I understand that. But there should never be any thought of retirement from Christian service on the part of any preacher or any Christian. We're in it for the long haul. I mean, that's why God has left us here on this earth, that we might fulfill His plan, that we might do His work. If I'm not going to do it, if you're not going to do it, there's no reason for us to be here. It's a lot better in heaven. We might as well be there. And I really believe that I put my life in, je in jeopardy when I do not take my vocation serious. Whenever I think that I have license to simply live and enjoy this life with the frivolous things that entertain the flesh, I'm putting my life in jeopardy. Because God leaves us here for a reason. So this is the ministry of maturity. This is what Paul is talking about. But look in verse 13. We see not only the ministry of it, we see the measure of maturity. He says, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's another way of saying that Jesus is the standard by which we measure ourselves. He is the model, He is the motive, He's the measure, and He is the means of spiritual growth. So the only way that we can judge what we ought to be is to look at Jesus Christ. 
That's why it's important, as I said this morning, that we continue looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Keep your eyes on Him. He's the standard. You've heard me say over and over again, it's never enough to say that, you know, that I excel, I exceed all of the other members in church growth. I can quote more Bible verses. I am more knowledgeable. I give more money. I do more work. And all of these things, it's never enough for you to be better than me or better than anybody else in the church because we're not the standard. Jesus is the standard. And that's what He's talking about. This is the measure of spiritual growth, Jesus Christ. And if we keep that fact before us all of the time, we'll begin to realize that throughout our Christian life, Life, we should always be growing. Now, notice the manifestation of this maturity. And here in verse 13 again, Paul is showing us what maturity looks like in its final form. Notice the word come. It means attain, arrive, or to come to a place over against, opposite another. So he says, till we all come. In other words, this ministry of maturity is going on until we finally come to what? Come to the place that these three things become a reality in our life. So this is that toward which we are headed. This is the manifestation of maturity in its final form. Notice number one. He says, the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, that word faith there, as used in this verse, refers to the body of Christian truth. In other words, in this instance, the word faith is objective, not subjective. It's not talking about our confidence in God. It's talking about what we believe as Christians. As Jude said, earnestly contend for the faith. So he's talking about this body of truth that we believe as the children of God, and we are to continue maturing until one day, listen, one of these days we shall come to that place of the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, let me tell you, that's something we sure don't see now. We have all kinds of disagreements now, don't we? We might agree on those seven pillars of the church... You say, well, what's that? Well, look back at the first part of the chapter. We had an entire message on the seven pillars of the church. We might all agree on that. We better all agree on that if we're going to be a part of the same church. We must agree on those seven things. But, boy, we disagree on a lot of other issues. Now, listen, that's to be expected, right? We're not all going to agree on, well, listen, we couldn't all agree on what color to paint the walls. If we said, well, we've decided we're going to, you know, paint the walls next week, what color do you want? Uh, you know, that's the pastor's nightmare to ask a question like that. Because, I mean, you know ahead of time there's going to be 40, 11 different answers. Everybody's got an opinion. Now, here's my point. The full manifestation of maturity is that we come to the place that we're in total agreement now that being true, if that's where we're headed, that tells me that in the meantime, we need to learn to deal with our differences. Because disagreement 
and division causes serious problems in the church. It certainly did with the church at, at Corinth. And that's why Paul urged them. He said, be of the same mind. You see, our disagreements can become dangerous if we don't know how to deal with them. And babies don't, right? If you don't believe that, just go to the nursery sometime and just watch those children. They don't know how to deal with disagreements. Every kid in there thinks that he, he can lay claim to any toy that he wants, and that belongs to him, you know, and he's willing to fight for it. And boy, when we get that mindset in the church, when we are so immature that we don't know how to deal with our petty differences, we're in for trouble. So one of the marks or manifestations of maturity is that we are now learning to deal with our differences because someday we're going to come into the full unity of the faith. The second thing he mentions is this, unto a perfect man. Now, I know in heaven we're going to be sinless, but this word perfect here does not imply that we're able to live in a sinless state in this world. That word perfect means complete or mature. And so it's speaking about spiritual maturity, and at this moment all of us are in the process of maturing. Someday we will be fully mature. Notice the third thing he mentions here. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So in that glad day, when it's all said and done, we will have fully arrived and be completely like Christ. Romans 8.29 tells us that God predestinated that to be so. God predestinated that we, that is His children, that we be conformed to the image of Christ. Let me ask you, are you growing up or are you just growing older? Are you becoming more and more like Christ each and every day? Or are you just killing time, just growing older? That's God's purpose. And the Apostle John tells us in 1 John chapter number 3 that in that day we shall be like Him for we shall see Him as He is. Now, hey, I am at a loss for words to explain how I feel when I think about this. The manifestation of maturity and there are three things that he's telling us here. And listen, that's where we're headed. That's the way it's going to be. But it's not that way now. We need to be growing in that direction. Now, we come down to verse 14, 15, and 16, and here we see what I call the marks of maturity. And as we read these verses, there are four things that will stand out. Now, you can call these the goals or the marks of Christian maturity, but whatever you call them, these are the things that should characterize every person who calls himself a Christian. You might want to jot these down. This is one time I wish I had the PowerPoint up and running, but there are four things that will characterize the life of a growing Christian. Number one is a Christ-like spirit. Now, that is more implied than it is stated here in these verses. It is clearly stated in other places, but here it is simply implied, and Paul has just told us what we shall 
become. So that's the direction that we ought to be headed. In other words, when the great potter of the clay is finished with us in that day, we're going to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. But, boy, right now we fall far short of that. So you can think about it this way, that we ought to be becoming what we shall become. What are we going to become? Well, go back to verse 13. Three things, remember that. We're going to finally arrive at the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. We're going to be like Him, John says. So that's what we're going to become later on. So in the meantime, we should be becoming that. And the question is, do we have a Christ-like spirit? If we don't, we're not growing. We're not maturing. We're just growing old. We're not growing up. Now, the second thing here is very clear. Verse 14, here we see that the second characteristic is a calm stability. Notice what he says, and you can't miss it. That we henceforth, in other words, from this time on, since we've been saved, from now on, be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Now, I mentioned at the very beginning that a church that puts all of the emphasis on evangelism is headed for trouble. In other words, if we don't teach those that we reach, we set ourselves up for a fall. A new Christian, whether he's eight or eighty, is a babe in Christ. And their immaturity can cause a lot of problems. And that's exactly what happened at the church at Corinth. Turn back, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 for just a moment. We could spend a lot of time here and we won't do that. We don't really need to. But notice the first three verses. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Do you see what happened in that church? They failed to grow, and as a result of it, that church was divided. They were split. Some said, well, I am of Paul, and some said, I am of Cephas. And, you know, and so here you've got this big division there in the church. You've got one element of the church following one preacher, another one following another preacher, and some of them no doubt saying, well, we just followed the Lord. You know, that might have been the worst bunch of the whole church in reality. Oh, it is part of the Lord. We're not going to listen to Peter or, 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 or Paul or anybody. I've noticed over the years these people that are all the time saying something like this. Well, you know, the Lord told me this and the Lord told me that. And most of the time they are absolutely wrong in what they say. Now, listen, when they say the Bible says this and the Bible says that, then they've got some basis to build on. But just trying to justify your actions by saying, well, God just laid it on my heart or God told me this or that, well, 
Let me tell you, there are many spirits in this world, and most of them are deceiving. Notice here, our text is speaking about children. Now, this is he's talking about spiritually immature Christians. Notice he says, they're tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. You think about a ship that's loose from its mooring and it's out on the high seas and the storm is raging and it's tossed to and fro and about to, about to go under. Have you ever wondered how cults grow? Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons, how, how do they grow? Because they do, by the way. The main way they grow is to get out here and keep knocking on doors until they find some immature Christian. Somebody that even though they might be saved, they don't know baloney about the Bible. And as a result of that, they begin to feed them their false doctrine and lead them astray. One of the marks of maturity is that I finally get to the place that I begin to recognize false doctrine and steer clear of it. You see, we're talking about a calm stability in this world that is so deceptive, mature people are able to remain stable and not be carried about with every new teaching that comes along. Then notice the third thing, verse 15, the third thing is... Compassionate speech, but speaking the truth in love may grow up. Isn't that what we've been talking about? Grow up. Grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. You know, I think in maturity, in speech generally shows up there, you know, maybe quicker there than anywhere else. I don't know if I got that out right or not. What I mean is that immaturity generally shows up quicker in our speech than in any other area of our life. You know, I, I just I feel I need to write a book about it instead of making a brief comment about it because I've been such a big failure at that over the years. And I know from experience how easy it is to fail in this area. And sometimes those that fail the most are young preachers because in their effort to drive home their point, in an effort to maintain control, as it were, in the church, they speak the truth, but there's no love in it. It's just nothing but harsh and bitter and just using the pulpit to bash people over the head and you know, they can always say, well, what I said is the truth whether you like it or not. Well, remember that old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. There's a lot of truth in that. And we need to speak the truth, and sometimes the truth even requires us to deal with unpleasant subjects. Love will compel us to speak of unpleasant subjects at times. But we ought to always do it in a spirit of love, compassionate speech. Remember what James said in this regard. He's talking about the same thing. 
And he talked about the tongue being an unruly member in the body. And he said, no man can tame the tongue. And maybe you're thinking, well, if the Bible says no man can tame the tongue, why should we even work at it? Why should we even try if we can't tame it? Well, listen, it didn't say the Lord couldn't tame the tongue. He can. You and I are not able to control our speech as we ought to. But the Lord can do it through us, and as we mature, He does exactly that. That's why the Bible tells us that, that our speech is to always be seasoned with grace. You think about the words that you speak. You see, here's the fact of the matter is, we can say the right thing in the wrong way and do just as much damage as though we had said the wrong thing. And a lot of times we Christians say the right thing, but we say it in the wrong way, in a condescending manner to people, and as though we're holier than thou. Speaking the truth in love. Listen, that's not just talking about what we do when we're standing behind a pulpit. That's what we do on the job and at school and in the home and everywhere we are. Speaking the truth, but speaking the truth in love. Now, notice verse 16, and here's the last mark that we're going to speak about tonight, and that is cooperative service. Verse 16, from whom the whole body, speaking of the church, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. I could spend an hour there, but I'm not. I'm going to spend two or three minutes. Now, I want you to think about this. We're talking about cooperative service. And this one verse tells us a ton of information about the church. It's made up of many different members, and those members are all joined together. I was watching a show the other day, one that I watch quite often. It's about, uh, I think it's called Best Defense. And it has to do with guns and all kinds of things. And this Michael Janich, who is a, who is an expert when it comes to martial arts and so on and so forth, he had a segment on there about fighting with knives. Somebody attacking you, you know, and you, with a knife or whatever, and you've got your knife and, I'm not going to go in detail. I mean, he gets pretty graphic, and you slash here and cut that ligament and slash there and cut that ligament, and you slash down here and cut that ligament, and, and, and you render that person inoperative. They're out of business. Now, what's the point? The point is, folks, that as members of the Lord's church, all of us, the church is made of all of these different members, but they're all joined together by these muscles and ligaments and so on and so forth. In other words, we are united in that way. And if each member does its part in harmony with all of the other parts of the body, I'm telling you what we are able with God's help to accomplish amazing things, but when you don't do your part or I don't do my part, then it hinders the entire body. 
If we're going to function properly, if we're going to accomplish our purpose, folks, listen, we need you. And some church members need to rediscover their, their, their importance in the church. We've got a lot of members that are unavailable. Well, we don't have any that are unimportant. And for good or for bad, you and I affect the church. We're either helping the church or we're hurting the church. And you think about it, the body is losing something very important when you don't function. We need you. Maybe you're thinking, well, if I'm just hurting the church, <laughs> well, I'll just quit. If me being a member of the now let me tell you, I've had people do that very thing. Instead of getting right, instead of repenting, instead of doing the right thing, I've had people drop out of church and drop out. For example, one woman said in regards to the Lord's Supper, well, she said, you know, I can't partake of the Lord's Supper because I'm unworthy. See, she didn't even understand what Paul was talking about. She, we're all unworthy, but she said, I'm unworthy, and so I, I, I just won't even come at all then. You know, whenever you say, if I'm hurting the church, then I'm just going to drop out of the church, that's like saying, you know, I've been a terrible parent to my children. I haven't taken care of them properly. And instead of getting it right, I'm just going to go down the street and help somebody else raise their kids. Or I'm just going to go out here and I'm just going to live on my own. You see, just because we are a failure, that does not justify us quitting altogether. You need, as I said, you need to discover your importance in this church. It takes all of us. So tonight we talked about God's guide for growth. And I've given you four evidences of spiritual maturity, and it brings us right back where we started with this question. And I can't answer it for you. I hope you won't try to answer it for me. But here's the question. Am I growing up? Or am I just growing older? And if you're not growing up, you need to start growing tonight. You need to make this a moment in your life that will change the way you think and change the way you live forever and say, by the grace of God, I'm going to start growing again. There are some of you here tonight that have been saved and there was a period of time that you started growing. You can remember when you got your first Bible. You remember how exciting it was? Well, I've got my own Bible. I, I remember the first Bible I ever had. I still have it, in fact. That very first Bible and how excited you are. And you can remember the thrill of really getting involved in church. And you started learning all of this new stuff. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden you had this desire to do something. And you went to the pastor and he directed you to do this or to do that. And you started teaching Sunday school maybe. Or maybe you started singing in the choir. But all of a sudden you started doing something and you're growing and you're happy. And then time goes by, and after a while, you stop growing up 
and you just start growing older. And it's the pits. The most miserable people in this world are Christians that are not growing up into the likeness of the Lord. Because if we are out of the will of God, the Holy Spirit makes it His business that we're not going to be happy. Are you growing up? Or are you just growing older? Let's stand together. Father, how we thank You tonight for the good report of these young people that went to camp. How we thank You, Lord, for the salvation of those that were unsaved. And our heart is thrilled. But God, help us to understand tonight as a church now we have this awesome responsibility to teach, to nurture, to help establish spiritual growth in the lives of these children that eventually they will become effective servants in Your church. So help us, dear Lord, to take that calling serious and to realize that that is our vocation till the day that we die. As a part of Your church doing Your work, may we not give out, may we not give up, may we not give in, but help us to keep on growing up and not just growing older. In Jesus' name, while we...